Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. It's interesting, this kind of idea of story that's come through this morning. Owen read from Psalm 107 at the beginning, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Even as Helen was kind of bringing that encouragement, uh, she could give it again in the context of the story. Uh, this, this kind of idea that we often see our lives as very static, uh, the moment, consumer of the moment, but that actually we, we exist in stories. That's how we exist uh, as people. And it's really helpful for us to reflect on the, the stories we're living. Because there's loads of them. There's loads of different stories, different ways you could tell our stories. Um, and particularly in times of transition and uncertainty, understanding your story is really helpful. Seeing your life through the lens of story is really important. And I'd like to kind of wrap our story as kind of as individuals um, up into the story today, and also just into West as well, at this very particular juncture uh, in, in your history, into kind of a couple of stories. I, I want to uh, look at a biblical story that we can wrap ourselves into, and also our story, not just as West, but as a family of churches, as Church Central. And I, I really want to, I hope it encourages us to shift our perspective in line with those stories in one particular, and I've only really got one goal for today's talk, um, and that is, I, I want to nurture faith in you. That's what I'm going to do today. If it does that, it's a successful talk. If not, it fails. Okay, now just so you know, right up front, uh, all cards on the table, I want to nurture faith in you. And Christian faith, just to decode, I think it's always good to decode, uh, is trust in God. That's what Christian faith is, trust in God. It's trusting specifically that he knows what he's doing, that he's loving, that he's in charge, that he works all things together for good for those who love him. It's very much linked with the idea of Christian hope as well, hope for the future. And um, we always need faith like this. Um, and I hope that God gives us faith uh, or fuels our faith in this talk for all sorts of situations we're going through. But I'm really particularly uh, praying for faith for you guys individually, but also collectively as Church Central West in the present situation uh, that you're in as a church, as the church is coming to its close. And I'm just, just to be clear, I'm not looking to distract from uh, any pain in the situation, not looking to gloss over anything. Now, I'm hoping and praying that I can fuel faith within the pain and the suffering and the loss of the situation, but still real, genuine faith and hope for really good things to come. Um, and faith, is funny about faith, is faith is two things. It's a choice and it's also a gift. Have you noticed that? Um, it's a choice, it's a gift. Choose to trust and God gives you trust. And there's times as we're going on, I'm going to be all the well, just hear my, I probably won't say this, but hear my voice as I'm speaking, give it a second. Will you choose to trust? It's a choice for us all the time as Christians. Will you choose to trust? It's faith from first to last, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. And I'll be asking that as we go along, but also all along, my prayer is that God is giving you the gift of faith. So, as we start, I want to pray uh, for you. Uh, and I want to pray that God does be with us and He's still with us. And I pray that God does that in our hearts as a gift as well. So, if you'd like to. Pray and be prayed for. Please feel free to assume whatever position <laughs> that's uh, suitable. I'm going to pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for encouraging praise from our hearts today. All the, the fact we're here is a result of you, the faith that you uh, put in our hearts some very long time ago, some very recently. Uh, Lord God, uh, I pray for, as you've done that to each of us, I pray that you would 
water that faith. I pray that you nurture that faith. I pray for some of us, God, where even um, uh, it seems faith has died in different ways. Lord Jesus, I pray bring it back to life. Bring the dead back to life. If there's something that song earlier, would that be true in our lives, Lord God? Lord, we trust you more at the end of this message than we did do right now, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right, Isaiah 6, 1 to 9. This is what it says. I'm reading from the NLT. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Yes. Go and say to this people, dot, dot, dot. If you want to see what it's to say to the people, you can read Isaiah 6 and the rest of Isaiah. But I'm stopping there, there today. And as I look to stir faith in you for what God is doing at the moment, I want to draw your attention to three different things in this passage. In this passage, we see an ending, we see a revelation of God, and we see a beginning. An ending, a revelation of God, and a beginning. I just want to look at each of those uh, in turn as we go through. So let's start with the ending, shall we? <laughs> as, uh, as, uh, as you do. Um, now, this passage here is the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah. And just to get a confusion out of the way, you've got Isaiah here, and it comes at the death of Uzziah. Very familiar, very similar names. I might level them up as we go along, but just see, make sure you see if you get in the right order. It's the commissioning of Isaiah, but it comes at a very specific time, at the death of Uzziah, who's the king. Um, now, King Uzziah, is there anyone here, a number of you would have been uh, kids at, at church, Anyone of you who have a Sunday school uh, lesson or session where you looked at King Uzziah? Does anyone remember that from your child? Yeah. Pete, no, he's totally not. That's not true. Son of a vicar, I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Every, every, every day of Sunday school. Maybe Pete did, maybe a couple of others did, but most of us wouldn't have done. He's not a famous Bible character for most of us. He's not someone that, that you'd often think about. Okay? But he was a very important king for God's people. And to understand the importance of his life, and also his death, which happens at the beginning of this passage, we need to set him into the story that he was part of. There we have the first use of that word, the story. And it's the story of God's people. What's the story of God's people? Well, we could go back to the beginning of creation for the story of God's people, Genesis 1. But I'll kind of I'll fast forward a little. Genesis 12, I think we can start, is when God called Abraham. That's when the story of Israel, the God's people, really began. God called Abraham, and he said, this, Abraham was nowhere. He didn't know much about God, like he was just doing his thing. God grabbed him, and he made two huge promises to him. He said, Abraham, I will make you, one, a great nation, and two... Through you, all 
all nations of the world will be blessed. You will be a great nation and you will bless all nations. Huge promises for this guy Abraham. And um, generations later, <laughs> fast forwarding quickly, speeding through the story, the first part of that promise particularly became a reality. Uh, there were, a, you might know the stories, a few unexpected pregnancies, an adventure or two in Egypt, there was uh, some commandments and battles, there was a, a, a desert journey that Owen alluded to earlier. <coughs> um, but they got to a point under King Solomon, years later they got a monarchy for this point, and anyone around would have said, this is probably about a thousand years after Abraham, there's a great nation right there. They've got a king, they've got a law, they've got a land, great nation. And the second part, the I will bless through you, all nations will be blessed, also under King Solomon seemed to be coming around too. The nations, the other nations were coming in. The king of Tyre helped Solomon build the temple. The queen of Sheba comes from miles away to investigate, thinking, I've heard something about this nation. It seems to be amazing stuff going on here. Who is this God that you speak of? You think, wow, even now they're starting to bless other nations. But they didn't quite, if you know the story, they didn't quite take hold of all that God had from them. And from that point, they looked like they were grabbing promises, and then it kind of started to fall apart a little bit. And Israel split in two, to Judah in the south, and Israel in the north. And you have some good kings and quite a number of bad kings. And the, the nation's uh, allegiance to God seems to shift back and forth. But when Uzziah comes along, not Isaiah, but Uzziah, who's the king in this passage, things seemed to be getting back on the right track. Now, King Uzziah, who was he? Well, he, he was the monarch who reigned for the second longest amount of time in the Old Testament, out of all the, the monarchs that, that reigned. He reigned in uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, for 52 years. To give a context of that, in the northern kingdom, Israel at that time, in his reign, there were five other kings who reigned. So obviously, when people thought of Uzziah, he was this sort of immovable object. He was a sign of continuity. He was a sign of security, when all around him was change and uncertainty. And in those 52 years, he oversaw all sorts of great achievements. He won battles. He, there were infrastructural changes in Israel's trade routes that they secured. They uh, even gathered back some of the land they lost in years gone by. Uh, uh, in, they lost since, since Solomon had been king, actually. And the people, even more importantly all that, and maybe the reason for all of that, the people were following God again. This wasn't a time where they were chasing after the Baals or the other gods. No, they were following God again. And on the whole, King Uzziah was a good king. But then he died. And I guess the people of Judah, at the time when he died, they would have had one big question. And it would have been this. But what now? What happens now? And some may well have been thinking about that in terms of their own fortune. What about my land? What about my income? What about my home? What about my family? Of course those would have been big questions, but for many they would have framed that question in the context of God's promises and his purposes. They'd be thinking, well wait a minute, we thought that for all the bumps and the ups and downs of the last 150 years or so since Solomon, we thought we were back on course for the promises. But now he's gone, the king gave such stability and certainty, he's gone. What happens now? It throws through, would have thrown them into great uncertainty. I think in all our stories, we would experience endings a little bit like this one. 
friends and family members die. People that we trusted leave. Dreams and ambitions that we've cherished and often see flourish and they're going really well. Suddenly they evaporate and they're gone. We all know disappointments, bereavements, redundancies, defeats, losses. That is the fallen world that we live in. And at all of those times, so often, we are just left so uncertain and vulnerable. We're asking God, well, what now, God? Well, what are you doing? Are you still with us? Have you deserted us? Or did I maybe just misunderstand all the stuff that I thought was happening before? And I've made those promises up. That wasn't what was happening. Are you even there at the moment? And it's been alluded to already, I'm, I'm sure, as Church Central West closes, for, for you looking around here, who have been part of this church for, for some time, for some many years, those similar questions are likely to be in people's minds. It's already been alluded to in the service in regard to church. I think on the ground, for you, I would imagine those questions would be acute and they would be personal. And that would have a very specific flavour, maybe a bit of bitter flavour. Actually, even as we zoom out a little bit and set the closing of Church Central West into a different story, the Church Central story, the story of our wider family of churches, I think those questions become even more relevant. And they're questions that I know that I've been asking a lot over the last while. Let's do another story. It's a story that will be familiar to many of you, but it's a good story, and it's our story. And it, I could again go back to Genesis 1, probably. I could go back to Abraham. This story probably, but I will, I'll, I'll, I'll go forward a little bit further. Let's start 1996, shall we? No, I'll say it a few, few thousand years. And some of you will be like, that's a long time ago for me. I don't know how you know. It seems like about yesterday when we landed in Birmingham. But um, we didn't just land in Birmingham. Me and Owen, we, we, when did you come to Birmingham? Was it 98? 97. 97. So I was 96, but uh, that was, that was by the way, because uh, actually Church Central, in a sense, started in 96. We're driving from Helen moved to, well, they thought it was Birmingham, it turned out to be Sandwell, but don't tell them that. <laughs> and they ended up moving to Bearwood. And then um, the church, as has been mentioned already, again, was called West Birmingham Family Church when it started, and we met uh, at Martineau, the Martineau Centre in Quinton. Have you ever been to a service at the Martineau Centre? There's not many of us. There's a few still hanging out, yes. Uh, we remember that. That's where we started out, as West Birmingham Family Church. But the leaders of the church, as time went on, they got a growing sense that we weren't just here for one part of Birmingham, just for this part of the city, but God was encouraging us to think much more broadly about how we could serve the whole of our city, our wonderful city of Birmingham, even into Samuel and further into the black country. And so we changed our name to Church Central, and we started looking, for those who were around who remember this, for a central venue, a location in the city centre. And we looked, and we prayed, and we like promised to give all our money, we found this great building, and we tried everything, and no doors opened at all at that time. No location materialised, we just couldn't get one. And so Jonathan and the leadership team had, uh, had an idea, let's just call it that, it was, it, they were just, it was one of that case, I don't know if you get this, where you've tried lots of things out, and God's not speaking particularly clearly, and so you think, well, we can't do that, so let's come up with a sensible idea, this is sensible. And I wasn't there at the time, but uh, there was a, a famous leadership team meeting in the late noughties, I think it would have been, um, when uh, the, the team, the leadership team at that time at Church Central decided, they said, right, rather than getting all of Birmingham to come to us in a central location, why don't we go to different parts of Birmingham? 
uh, in different congregations around our city. Some of you would, would know this very well. And so at that leaders' meeting one night in the late noughties, I imagine it kind of like under the cover of nightfall, probably in the middle of a glade or a thicket, everyone in hoods. It was that kind of gathering. It was like really, uh, really monumental and special. Um, they decided, yeah, okay, let's see if we can have four congregations by 2020. That sounds like a good idea. And it seemed sensible. It was a pragmatic decision at the time. It was just, that seemed like a good idea. But the very next day, as many of you will know, that decision, it took on a different flavour, I think we could say. Because the lady in the church came to Jonathan with a drawing that she'd drawn. Uh, and she was a bit embarrassed at the drawing, partly because it wasn't very good, I've seen the drawing, to be honest. Uh, but partly as well, that's not what it is, because it was a, a blobs, okay, as you'll see in a minute. Um, the drawing was these four spheres around the sphere. Okay, like I said, they were blobs, actually, you see the picture. But spheres were good, they were round, I suppose. And there were four spheres around the sphere, and she was embarrassed. She's like, I just don't know what it means. But why on earth this? I think it refers to the church. And I think God is saying that we should be four and also one. <laughs> Sorry, I might have just had a lot of cheese last night, but Jonathan, take that, do with it what you will. That was the sort of uh, vibe of that one. Well, of course, with the, even, the evening they'd had before, with the meeting they'd had before, this was seen not just as some drawing, this was a pragmatic, sensible idea that God seemed to be saying, no, I put my stamp of approval. This is my idea. And the idea of then four congregations by 2020. And so, 2000, uh, let's get my dates right here, probably, probably worth getting them uh, in the right order. 2010 it was, Church Central South, Church Central West, uh, split into those two. Then 2013, Church Central North came on the scene. And then amazingly, you might have blinked and you'd have missed it in the chaos of 2020. When we started the pandemic, Church Central East was a, a life, essentially. By the end of that year, still not quite sure how Tim and Liz managed it, or those guys pulled it off, but we had enough people at Church Central East for it to be a genuine uh, site, a site that's been growing ever, ever since. And so as 2020 finished, I don't know if you remember that odd end of the year when we were allowed a half a day's Christmas or something and no one else was. It was an odd one, wasn't it? Uh, by the end of that year, actually, when we went to 2021, for those of you who remember, we were celebrating. Because God had been faithful to what he said. 2020, four congregations. Fantastic. And also to look at the other angle, for those of you who've been involved in this journey the whole way, I think we could have looked back and we could look back and go, we were faithful. God said something, we acted, we pushed it forward. We couldn't have imagined how that would work out in late noughties. But we did it, we pushed through, we trusted God and it came through. And so there we were, end of 2020, Four congregations around Birmingham and for, for the leaders of the church since that point, I know for some of you this would have been the case too. Ever since that point, we've been asking this question God, what's next? What are you, 2020, mission complete. Next 10 years, next 20 years, next 50 years. Well, it's probably not going to surprise you hugely to hear that the one thing we weren't planning for in those times of prayer and that times of thinking and reflecting was starting by closing down one of the churches and going back to three church central churches again. That was not on the agenda. This isn't some cunning plan uh, from any human perspective. And so in some ways, I think we find ourselves in a very similar situation to the people of God in Isaiah 6. What now? God, what are you doing? Was all of that some sort of joke? 
Where are you taking us? Well, the first thing to notice is that in this passage, the ending, we do see an ending here, it would have been a painful ending, was actually the beginning. But what happened on the back of this ending? It was in the year Kumazariah died that I saw the Lord. So this passage is an ending, but then very quickly it was a revelation of God. While all around seemed uncertain and unstable, when the story seemed up in the air, God lifted Isaiah's eyes to himself. And where is God? This passage, you could, we could go and talk about seraphim, we could talk about coals that burn people's lips, we could talk about all sorts of details. I think one little phrase is all we need. It's, it's a wonderful phrase that focuses on why God moved Isaiah's eyes to where he did. And it says this, he, that's God, was sitting on a lofty throne. God was sitting on a lofty throne. First thing, it's lofty, high, elevated, above this reality. Our world down here is a, multi, is a world of multiple overlapping endings. And they can be very disorienting. You've got to put your hope in one thing down here, and it ends. It disappears, it fails. It's like you can't hold on to anything for long enough for it to fulfill and satisfy and provide a suitable substance for your hope. That's how life is on this, this, this earth, in this fallen world we live in. And so in times of endings down here, what we need to do is look up to the God who's lofty, to heaven, to the one who's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, which means he had no beginning and he will have no end. It's lofty. But what else is it? It's a lofty throne. It's a throne that Isaiah sees. And that's simple. The throne meant the same then as what it means now. It's like Shakespeare said, the king is dead. The king is like, long live the king. The king is like, is dead. But there's still a king on the throne. And King Isaiah, he made some mistakes, particularly the end of his life, but he was, he was generally a pretty decent ruler. But this king, no, this king's chorus. This king's perfectly powerful, perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly wise, and he's still there. He's still on that throne, he's still in charge, he's still ruling. There's one other little detail here though. What's he doing on that throne? He's sitting on the throne. He's sitting. We often miss that, but that's really important. God is often presented in the Bible as sitting down. It's not because he's getting a bit old and his legs are tired. That's <laughs> why I usually sit down. Um, there's more to it than that. Sitting is a sign of peace and confidence. It's interesting that God's enemy, the devil, is presented quite the opposite in the Bible. Uh, in the book of Job, Satan, the enemy of God, is presented this way. It says that Satan was going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. The enemy is always on the move, but he's not on the move confidently. He's walking up and down the earth. Why are you with a bit like biting the nails, pacing? Ah, oh, what is this? What's going to happen? That's the enemy. Contrast, where's God? He's sitting on the throne. He's sat down. He's confident. He's composed. He's calm. God is not thrown by the death of Isaiah. He is not anxious. He is not in a flap. He is seated on his throne. Just to clarify, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about what's happening in our world. 
But what it means is this. He knows that the endings on earth, however painful they might be in the short term, do not derail his good plans. Plans that he has to glorify his name and to act on behalf of those who love him. As we confront the different endings in our lives, including the ending of our church, let's lift up our eyes from this world to him, the one who's holy, 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 unique, flawless, wonderful, and seated confident on his throne, the throne of the whole universe. And he is seated, but he's not idle. Because one of the things that he's doing, intervening in our world of endings, is starting new beginnings. And that's exactly what he's doing in this passage. So we've seen an ending, we've seen a revelation of God, and finally we see a beginning. I mentioned at the start, this passage is all about this is the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah. It's time of potential unrest. God plucks out this guy Isaiah, and for the first time, Isaiah puts up his hand and goes, Here I am, here I am, send me. And so God sends him, and he speaks to him. And it's the first time God speaks to him, but it's certainly not the last, as he will testify from the book of Isaiah, which is really long. Okay, it goes on for quite a long time. He speaks loads, and he's, in many senses, the most famous and significant of all the Old Testament prophets. And Isaiah, if you read through that long book, you'll see lots of messages uh, from God for the God's people, and lots of them are pretty, pretty confrontational. They're quite challenging. They're prophecies of judgment. But the prophecy is interwoven with all of that that we remember most and we cherish most from Isaiah today have a slightly different feel to them. Because interwoven with all the prophecies of judgment in Isaiah, these incredible prophecies of hope that Isaiah brings over and over again. And those messages of hope are usually based around one character. And that character's name is Jesus. Now, for those of you who have grasped biblical chronology, you will know that's rather surprising because Isaiah comes hundreds of years before Jesus. But actually, Isaiah goes into such detail about this coming Messiah, and when we see Jesus come, those details are mapped on in many ways almost perfectly. So Isaiah will tell us uh, where Jesus was born, roughly. Uh, he would tell us details about which family line he was born into. He even tells us how he would be buried. When we go to our major fest, Christian festivals, Isaiah is all over them. So Christmas, with the coming of Jesus, well, you go to the Gospels and then you go to Isaiah. Maybe we all know it. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call him. Wonderful counsel. Well, wonderful counsel is good. But what did he actually call him in this case? Emmanuel. But wonderful counsel is in the same passage. In Isaiah. Well, that's in Isaiah as well. That's Isaiah 7 14. How about this one? To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. We know these passages, Isaiah 9, verse 6. And as we go to Easter, we just had it. We get more Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah chapter 53. And in many ways, Isaiah's most enduring message that he brought is the heralding of this coming Messiah, the Saviour, Jesus, the God who would come off his lofty throne, come down and bring an end to the ultimate ending of all, death itself, and usher in a new life for all his people. That was Isaiah's basic message. So listen, see how this all fits together. At this time of this disconcerting ending, 
God is immediately setting into motion this new beginning. And it's the ministry of Isaiah, yes, that's significant, but even more than that, behind that is this, this heralding of the Messiah, the heralding of Jesus. I think we've got to understand that this isn't just Isaiah 6. With every uh, ending that we experience in the fallen world, God is doing exactly the same thing. In all the twists and turns of life, to trust Jesus and to follow him is to say, yes, I see this ending, but I believe in a God who works new beginnings even from endings. And if you're reeling from losses and disappointments at the moment, whether they be personal, whether they be uh, church ones, yeah, lift your eyes to the Lord, who's seated on his throne, but also trust him that the hopes do not die with those endings because the God that we trust in and believe in is still on his throne and he is probably working out new starts from those things. And the thing is, in this end that we're having at Church Central West, I'd say we're already starting to see glimpses of what God may be beginning, what he may be stirring. God is really at work in our family of churches at the moment, guys. We're seeing this all over the place. And actually, one of the things that struck me as I was praying this is, he is now answering some of the prayers that those of you put your hands up about Martineau Centre, that we were praying in the Martineau Centre years ago. I know we pray for lots of things as a, as a church, but I remember for years praying for more cultural diversity in our church. And that would be... Uh, not a prayer for, to tick the diversity tick box. There would be theological reasons for that. that we we want to we pray that there's cultural diversity because it, it, it brings glory to God. It's just something of his multicoloured wisdom, as Paul says in Ephesians. But more than that, more practically, is Jonathan and Helen uh, come, came, come from the home counties. They are Caucasian in origin. Caucasian, I don't know so. Um, and that, that was quite different. The home counties flee or over where Jonathan and Helen from. Quite different to Birmingham. And we were called to Birmingham and to the black country of Samuel, okay, to this area. And we wanted to represent our area. We didn't want to just float above it being irrelevant to the actual city that we live in. So we thought, well, we want to look like our area too. And we prayed for it for years. And I'll be honest, very, very little changed for many years. I talked to a friend the other day at Church Central East. And uh, they were about the worship time. <laughs> and they said, oh, we had six prayers in, the, in, out, in between the songs. There were six people who prayed. Oh, not a lot to that. We, we, we had seven. Uh, and then, no, no, the thing you've got to know, John, is they were all in completely different languages. So, wow, how does that work? Church Central North, which has doubled in the last two months at least, uh, now would be majority black as a church. This is a church we never had in one of our church central churches, who would be very similar demographic to the area they live in. God's answering our prayers. Within that prayer, one of the prayers that we pray over and over and over again, which you have to pray as a resident of this city, is that God will start to see more Muslims saved and come to know Jesus uh, as a church. Remember the day, I know Steve and Janet Day remember this well, when 16 Iranians turned up at, <laughs> at church. Uh, and none of them was very one, go for Metin. And we, uh, between us and a few others, we got to have the pleasure of getting to know those guys over a while. And a lot of them were from Christian backgrounds, some of them from Muslim backgrounds, but from Iran, they're refugees. And they didn't find a long term home with us at Church Central, although they were a blessing in many ways. 
Um, but I know that God sparked something in me at that time. I know he would have done for many of us. But we wanted to start serving refugees in our city. Particularly those from a Muslim background. And we prayed and we prayed. And I was always on me. I was still jealous, Steve. I said, remember those guys, what they're doing nowadays? What's God doing now? Is that just something we're going to remember in years to come? Say, oh, it's a bit of a shame. We must have messed that one up. Oh, well. Well, you know what? The other day in uh, Church Central East, they got a call from this Afghan guy. And uh, he was an ambassador in Kabul and had been allowed to leave Afghanistan uh, when the trouble started. And he found out he was a Muslim with his family and uh, still a Muslim. But he said when he landed in a different city in England, these Christians had been really kind to him. They invited him to church and they then the family really enjoyed it. Um, so they wanted to come to a church in Birmingham. It was the first thing they wanted to do. And Tim and his wife, yeah, great, fantastic, come along. Um, well, they didn't realise this. This guy had seven kids. They <laughs> rocked up on we It's like an entire row of Afghans there that don't speak any English. Nadine, who many of you would know, does speak Afghan, which is kind of handy. But it reminded me of that time. It's suddenly like, bam, just loads of people suddenly come from a completely different area. But actually, now that church is well equipped to be able to handle, to serve, to support those guys. And they're knitting in, still Muslims, knitting into Church Central East. Five baptisms in lockdown in uh, Church Central East. Several of those people from Muslim backgrounds, I know some of you would have seen those. One last prayer that we've been praying, and we always pray, don't we? Is we've been praying for years with regular salvations. I'll be clear on this one. We're not seeing the answer to that prayer that I would be praying for, I know many of us would have been as much as I think we should be seeing that. We, Jesus deserves more glory and more people serving him. So there's still a way to go, but we've seen glimpses. In Church Central South, over lockdown, we saw 30 people who weren't Christians join uh, our community groups uh, across the church for different periods of, of time. And as a result of those and some alphas that we did, we saw more people saved and added when we couldn't even go out of our houses in, in Church Central South than we had seen for years beforehand, people who are still with us. Baptisms at Church Central East, Church Central North, gathering now people, uh, their, their whole service is set up by two guys who are Christians, and they slowly get in place, but not quite here, we've not been here, we've not been part of this community. God is answering prayers, we've prayed for years. He's with us. He's doing things we patiently waited for him to do ever since the start of West Birmingham Family Church, for those who remember that name. And all this as well, not sure to a close, we're learning lessons about how to plant churches as well. And how to plant churches differently to how we've done it. It takes a while, we've we've tried our best, you know. But it's hard planting churches in Birmingham. And planting churches in local communities that really serve those communities, that really introduce people to Jesus from where they're at, not where we think they should be at. And we're learning things. And so, even as from South, we extend a welcome to you you guys here, I want to be clear that what, what you'll, you'll be coming into if you choose to come to South with us is we're a community that's starting to feel a stirring again regarding planting fresh churches. It's on the agenda. We're not sure where they'll be. They might well be back into West. We just don't know. We might be into other specific communities in South. But we're committed to continue pushing into planting more churches in our city, and they'll probably be quite different to how we've wanted churches before because of the lessons that we've learned uh, recently, particularly. The picture that God gave us of those four blobs or spheres 
We don't see that as being, oh, that's done, now it's, well, those are the glory days. No, we're seeking God for where he's leading us next. And we're fairly convinced he's got more <coughs> blobs or spears to plant, probably in very different ways. And it's just like, I think it was Owen who just said before the end of the, the last session, this idea of, it's not being subsumed to the Borg, <laughs> but it's into Star Trek. Was it assimilated to the Borg? Any trackings here? Yes, I, I guess there'd be one there. Not right there. That's not the plan here, be assimilated to the Borg. Um, or subsumed into church centre, which I think Owen said. Now, there's a change that's happening across the board. This isn't static. And you know what? I th- I'd see this as a regrouping. I think God is regrouping us as church central west and south into a position where, yes, for, for many of you guys, I would hope you'd find a home long term at south. For some, I would expect it to be a springboard to be able to plant meaningfully back in to serve our city. A city that needs Jesus more than ever. I'm hoping that we'll be able to share more about those sort of adventures of faith really soon. Not like three years, I would think six months we'll be having more clarity on that, definitely. But for now, I just want to encourage you that, yeah, we live in a world of endings, we do. But we serve an endless God who specialises in new beginnings. And I'm hoping, as I said at the start, that as I'm, I've been speaking, God will be awakening something in faith for some of those new beginnings. As we said all along, some of those new beginnings might well be in different places. Might be a different places for them, might, I don't know. But I think there's missions and adventures and some of this journey that we're going on for us together again. And I'm going to just finish by praying uh, for us. And I love it. We don't have to spend ages. We don't have to stop going over. Um, but just to say, I, it's this Isaiah phrase. It's a great phrase when many of us have seen it before. Here I am, send me. I'm going to pray for you. And all I'm going to ask, you've got a moment to, I'm going to leave it 20 seconds. Can you say to God today, you know what, with all the uncertainty, you sit on your throne, whatever you've got for me, here I am, send me. That's the question. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, you understand our lives. Thank you for the story you've wrapped us up in. Lord God, thank you that story has a wonderful ending. When you return, Lord Jesus, and you gather us together, your bride will be beautiful. Lord, and you'll uh, truly bring heaven down to earth and your presence will be with us. We look forward to that day. Thank you, you've done everything that needs to be done to make that happen. You've to add to that. You've sealed it and you're patiently, patiently bringing about your purposes, not wanting one person to perish, Lord. And we get to be part of that. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you'd, as I pray at the beginning, I pray again, blow on the embers of faith in our hearts. Lord Jesus, whatever part that we're going to play, wherever we're going to play, I pray for every person in this room that we would play our part in the new beginnings you've got for us now in our lives to contribute towards the coming of Jesus in years to come. As you send out your call again today, who, who will go for us? The King of Heaven, I'm sorry, who will go for us? Who can I send? Who can be part of my adventure? But I pray you'd find willing hearts here.